Hey friend, we just wanted to pop over and remind you of all of the freebies that we have on our website at hustlehumblypodcast.com slash resources. There are quite a few on there. They work for buyers and sellers, for your business, all different things you might need and all for free. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, which one is your favorite? My favorite freebie is the due diligence checklist. Oh, that's a good one and Mm -hmm. so impactful for your buyers. Mm -hmm. It's a great email template. It's a really good one. Uh, My favorite is probably staging checklist. Mm -hmm. I want my sellers to have those houses looking good. Yes, yes. So head over and see which ones you would like to download or get them all. Enjoy. How much do I need? How much do I want? And how much do I want to save? Okay, I have one irrational fear. Oh God. You only have one? Because I'm here all morning. The more confident you can be in how you're running your business, the less you're going to want to keep up with other people because you're confident in your own space. All I'm hearing is like the Charlie Brown teacher, like Hi y'all, welcome to Hustle Humbly. It's Alyssa and Katie, and we are two top producing realtors in the Baton Rouge market. We work for two different companies where we should be competitors, but we have chosen community over competition. The goal of our podcast is to encourage you to find your own way in business. So stop comparing yourself and start embracing your strengths. Hi. Hi, how are you guys? No, start again. No, No, just start again. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Katie. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Katie. And she's like, she's like frozen in time. Hi, everybody. It's episode 141. We're all here. Becker's going to talk money. <laughs> Yay. I love to talk Yay. and I love money. She will look good. You've come to Me the right too. place. You guys are made for each other. We I know. Are. I, on the other hand, have things to learn. So <laughs> I have things to learn too. I don't know if we talk okay. about crypto, Sarah. Katie. It's all you. Or an NFT, but we're not going to go down that road. No. Um, Okay. So, Sarah, please tell our audience who you are, what you do, all all the important things before we get started. Absolutely. So, my name is Sarah Becker. I am a financial educator for freelancers, real estate agents, creative entrepreneurs, basically anyone that has fluctuating income. Uh, Whether you provide a service or a product, I'm here for you. I have been in the entrepreneurial space for like 13, 14 years now um, as a wedding photographer, as a real estate investor. I also co-owned an elopement planning company for a little bit with one of my closest friends. Um, And I've learned a lot about how businesses are run on the back end financially. And I've casually been chatting about money with all of my friends for years and years, and they got sick and tired of me. So I decided to turn it into a business. Makes sense. You even, (laughs) I'll, I'll follow that up with, you have done our branding photos for yes. the podcast. And on one occasion, we went to dinner afterwards and you did give us some really interesting information about retirement. You love to talk money. Like that's, I, I really, you can see that it is your passion. It is so truly my I'm passion. Excited. It truly is. I'm so excited for you to bring this information to our audience because realtors really don't think about money as much as they should. Yeah. And dealing with the fluctuating income is really, really tricky. So mm-hmm. I think this is super useful. Good, good. So we're going to get really, really like in there today. But maybe can you give us like um, a quick like bit about your philosophy, about your your um, investment in real estate and how that plays into, I know you're very retirement focused. So tell us, I didn't even know what FIRE was until you said it to me. So tell us what FIRE is and like, tell us a little bit about all of that. Okay. I feel like you just asked me six questions in a row and that's my style. So I appreciate that. I I also do that. So it's karma, you know? Um, Okay. So a little bit about my philosophy. The most important thing I want to mention before we get started is that I find so many real estate agents are 
not confident when it comes to money. They're like, I'm not numbers people. I'm not. I'm a people person. Like that's why I'm in real estate. Um, but the problem is, as a real estate agent, you basically work for yourself, right? There's no HR department being like, sign here for your 401k. Like you've got to figure this stuff out on your own. And I think my biggest message I want people to know is that you can do it. Like sometimes you need a little bit of help, and that's why I started this business. But it is absolutely doable. Like. As Marie Forleo says, everything is figure outable. Like you can definitely figure it out. Um, and so that is that is my biggest, biggest point I want to make before going into this, because I know that with when it comes to finances, there are a lot of like acronyms and it feels scary because there's so much wrapped up in like how you spend your money and childhood wounds and shame. And it's very convoluted. So I think the biggest thing to remember is that like this is you can do this. You you run your own business, you can figure out your money. That's number one. Thank you. We need that. You're welcome. Number two. We really need that. Yes. I am pretty retirement focused, but what I really am is freedom focused. Like a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, when they think retirement, they're like, when I'm 65. But no, I mean, my husband's retired. He retired in his early 30s. Like he's still working, but he wouldn't necessarily have to. That's because of the fire movement. We can get into that in a minute. But I think my whole point with retirement and how my real estate investments have come into play is that I don't want to wait till I'm 60 to take the summers off and spend them with my kid. Like I want to do that now at 31. So that is kind of where a lot of my retirement philosophy is. It's bringing the retirement to you quite a bit sooner. I really like how you said that a lot of people aren't confident because I'm just coming out of um, filing my taxes. And every year there is a confusion between the Roth IRA, the SEP IRA, the contributions, Tanner's, mine. I never know how to answer any of their questions. And my, my guy, he's speaking to me and I'm like, all I'm hearing is like the Charlie Brown teacher, like, and I'm like, I have an MBA and I do not understand what you're saying. No matter how many times you say it, I cannot understand. And it makes me feel so inadequate, not confident. Like I can invest in real estate and feel good and safe because I understand it. I do not understand the other stuff. And I have yet to find someone that can make me feel comfortable with understanding it. You know, it's just. Yes, Alyssa, absolutely. And there's an education gap, right? Like we don't know this because we're not taught this. And I think a lot of people think I should know this. Well, who taught, who's supposed to tell you? Like we we have an education issue. Well, yeah. and it's also, we have an education issue specifically female-based. No one talks to women about oh money. God, no. And you're talking Don't get about me started. creative entrepreneurs and real real estate agents. These are all They're women. predominantly female fields. Oh, yeah. I only so work no with one, women. Right. And so no one I says, that. this is how you handle your money and you need to be in charge of your money. And you don't just turn all that over. Like, you know what it makes me think about? I always freak out. I handle the bills and I, I make the money and I know what's going on. But then I think about it in terms of like, the other way around, if I was giving that over to my partner and then they passed away and then I wouldn't even know like what was what, that's what I, that's what freaks me out. And and we should all want to know what, at least know what's going on so that we could step in an emergency or if something, you know, were to happen, you need to know, you can't just be like, here, you do it. I don't want to learn. I don't want to handle this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that happens so often. 
Yeah, for sure. Okay, so tell us fire. Will you explain it to the people? I will explain it to the tell people. Tell us what it means. So I, I'm so curious if your audience is familiar with this. Like, guys, DM me about this once you hear this podcast because I want to know because I think fire is honestly really applicable to real estate agents. So fire stands for financially independent, retired early. And this is not a scientific percentage, but I think a large percentage of people reach fire due to real estate investing. That's how my partner Barry did it. I mean, that is like really the easiest way to do it is to purchase properties that you then rent them out. You get the cash flow. You purchase another property. You keep it going. Um, That's how a lot of people are able to retire early or reach freedom early. Uh, And so I think it's, it's common among real estate agents, or it should be. Like you should be thinking about it because obviously you're seeing those deals before anyone else is. You're in a very unique position to advocate for yourself in the real estate space when a lot of people don't have that advantage. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your real estate investments, like what your portfolio entails. Yes. Okay. Great question. So I co-own a commercial space uh, here in New Orleans that is a guest house. That's the only commercial space I own. And then my partner and I together, we own four residential properties. We own one in Vermont, one in Mississippi, and we have only two left here in New Orleans. We sold one last year. Are they like vacation rentals? So our two two New Orleans houses, they're both double shotguns, which for non-Louisiana people, listening. It's basically a duplex. Um, And so we live in one of those units. And then we have three that are rented to long-term renters. Our house in Mississippi is one that I've talked about on my blog. We bought it for $65,000 last year. It sits on four acres on the Leaf River. And we are still renovating that house. And it is a place that I go probably about a third of the time I'm up there. So we have not rented it. I'm open to doing that in the future. But like we need to renovate the bathroom first, which we have not done, you know? So we're kind of doing that piece by piece. And then the Vermont house we bought last September and we rented it out for the winter and we are going to go spend the summer up there. So it's really great because a lot a lot of people ski in Vermont. And so we were able to rent it out to a couple that loves to ski. They're hanging out up there in the snow, dealing with all the cold stuff I don't want to deal with. And then I'll come up for the what I consider to be the best parts and then we'll rent it out again. Um, how did y'all choose Vermont? That's a great question. So my son, my stepson, um, has some family in New England. So we were kind of considering like, oh, it'd be great to be able to spend some summers up there. Um, my partner, Barry, also has some really close friends up in New England and has some ties up there. And we really wanted to, after over a decade in New Orleans, spend most of hurricane season somewhere else. So we were looking for a different type of weather, you know. So last summer, we did a little New England road trip. And originally, we were kind of thinking, Massachusetts or Connecticut. And we went to Vermont kind of as like a break from house hunting. And when we got up there, I was like, this is so amazing. And if we're not going to be up here for winter anyway, like obviously the winters are, you know, worse in Vermont than Massachusetts. But coming from Louisiana, I was like, it's all going to be hard for me. Like, I don't have the right clothes for any of this. Um, And we completely fell in love with Vermont. We contacted a real estate agent up there and kind of got on a mailing list. for. It was like, honestly, we found that house. It's so funny because we found the Mississippi house on Facebook Marketplace. And then we found the Vermont house on this like very random website called cabinhomes.net that would send you an email anytime anything like under a cabin in a certain area would be listed. And that's how we found our Vermont house. Wow. I like that you glazed over that you bought the Mississippi house on Facebook Marketplace. You bought it on Facebook Marketplace sight unseen. So for our real estate audience, please tell us a little more about this. Oh, my God. Okay. So first of all, guys. I didn't know you weren't getting 
Damn. Yes. Okay. So I would never recommend someone purchase their first house this way. I don't want people to think that I am like, inspections don't need them. You do. You normally do. But this this house, when it came up, it was on Facebook Marketplace. We actually did go see it. We were able to drive the couple hours north to go see it. And because my partner, Barry, has renovated so many houses on his own, he was able to basically kind of do his own inspection. He went under the house. There was a big crawl space. And also the house was listed for about half of what it appraised for. So I was like, you know, if we buy this house and the AC doesn't work, we can replace it. If we buy this house and the roof needs to get replaced, we can replace it. So because of the price point and our experience in renovating, we were able to confidently purchase this house. But I mean, we saw it and we closed eight days later and we never met the owners. Like it was very, I had a real estate attorney look over everything because again, there were a lot of, um, not red flags, orange flags. Um, but fortunately it was, it was all good. And once we bought the house, I was like, do we really own this house? But we do. So it all worked out. <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm, really so glad. This house. I'm so glad for you. <laughs> That's you. amazing that when you've been renovating it, like yeah. as you stay there. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's back back up to the retirement plans yes. where Alyssa was confused and doesn't know what's what and neither do I. Yes. Can you tell us the difference between SEP and IRA and what that means and, and kind of what is the starter? Like, let's just say we're talking to people who've never done anything. What would you do? Absolutely. So an Roth IRA is personal, right? It literally stands for an independent retirement account, whereas a SEP, since it's associated with your business, it allows you to contribute more. So with a SEP, you can contribute 25% of your profit versus an IRA where you can contribute $6,000, and that comes from the, your personal side, right? Because the law sees you as two entities, your business and you as a person. So that's an important thing to keep in mind when you're looking at retirement accounts, because again, some retirement accounts like an IRA, it's only the personal side. Some accounts like a SEP, it's the business side. Um, some accounts combine, like for instance, I have an independent 401k, an I-401k, and I can contribute you know, $18,000 on the personal side and then up to 25% of my profit on the business side. So having an account like that allows me to maximize my contribution since I can... Yes, Alyssa. <laughs> okay. My question is, what if you, like some realtors are just working, they didn't incorporate themselves or set up, an, like I am incorporated, so I legally have Alyssa Jenkins, Inc. Mm -hmm. And that is like my business income. So I do have a SEP IRA because I was told to. Mm -hmm. um, now I understand why. But what if you didn't incorporate yourself or you were just working. Yes. Yeah, so if you're unincorporated. Can you still have a step? No. So you can have okay. a personal account. You could have an IRA, an independent retirement account, but you would not qualify for a SEP and you would not qualify for a 401k. I would highly recommend getting incorporated, getting an EIN. An EIN is free. Becoming an LLC is normally a few hundred dollars and then like 50 bucks a year is maintenance uh, to file every year. So I would highly recommend that because it really opens up your opportunities uh, for savings accounts and for retirement accounts. Okay. While we're on LLC. So if you have an LLC, but you are not doing the S-Corp election, can you use the SEP or do yes. you have to take it the next step? And do mm -mm. Yes, you can use it. Yes. So an LLC is a type of business entity, while an S-Corp is like your um, your tax classification. Like a tax yes. So if you classify yourself as an S-Corp, you're still also an LLC. You're just an LLC with an S-Corp classification. And really what the difference is that 
if you're an S corp, it means you're doing your taxes at a different rate and you're paying yourself through a payroll service that takes taxes out, therefore making them deductible off your income. Right. So, and so my CPA recommended that I do the S corp election mm-hmm. and then I pay myself a salary. And I think what they normally tell you is the reasoning for that is to avoid really high payroll taxes if you don't take it to the S corp and give yourself a salary. So let's just say I made $100,000, but my salary is only. then I pay the payroll taxes on the $50,000. Whereas if I was just the LLC and I took all the money is mine and I didn't say what was a salary, then I had to pay the payroll taxes on the full $100,000. Am I getting that right? Yes. Yes. Another thing that is is different is that when you pay yourself a salary versus just being an LLC. So let's say, you know, Katie, your salary is $50,000. You're going to have to pay, you know, that 7.5%, you know, FICA tax, and so is your business. But because your business can pay half of it, if you elect as an S-corp, you can write that off. Versus if you're an LLC, none of that is written off. So that's another little tax bump break situation. Um, And, you know, there's different levels of thought and opinion on when do you become an S-corp? When do you decide to elect yourself as that? If you're making over $70,000 of profit a year, I would say that's the time to start thinking about it. You know, we, not back, tax season, a year or two ago, we interviewed Karen um, Bond, who was a CPA. And she had the same, almost the same kind of break point too. Oh, wow. Okay. Don't mess with this. Don't get like frustrated about it until you reach a certain income level. And then you kind of like cross the threshold and you should really consider it. Yes. And the reason for that is that when you file your taxes as an S-corp, there is a lot more work. So it's going to cost you more money to file every year. And then you're going to have to pay a payroll service to actually write you your paycheck. So that's around the time you're starting to break even and then make you know more money um, as an S-corp. If you're making less than $70,000 profit, not gross, profit, I would not worry about it. It's not worth the trouble. When you pay yourself, who withholds your taxes? My CPA, actually, I don't use a payroll service. My CPA does all of my bookkeeping. So they they put all of, they take my bank statements, they put everything into QuickBooks, and then they do my payroll. And they basically send me an email that says, I just do it once a month. They're like, this is what your payroll is. It's the same every month. Yeah. Put this money into this account. Like I have a payroll account. Move the money from the payroll account to your personal account. And then leave the tax money in the payroll account. And they schedule that. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how mine is. Look. I would never recommend someone who was uncomfortable with this to try and do it themselves. Never. It, it's worth the money. Never. I think I pay 250 bucks a month for my CPA to do all of that, to do the payroll, to do my bookkeeping. And then I just have to pay them to do my taxes, but they've been keeping up with it all year. So it's not time consuming for them. And it doesn't cost me that much money to get my taxes done. Oh my gosh, no, it's so valuable. And it's not just that you're paying for the tasks, you're literally paying for peace of mind. And when I have clients who were audited, if you have a CPA that has helped you, I mean, honestly, a lot of times the IRS will be like, okay, great, we don't even need to continue with this. But if you're on your own, the IRS is going to give it to you. And I always tell people it is so worth that money to have someone else signing off on your monthly stuff, someone else sending off just on your yearly taxes if you're not an S-Corp, like hire it out. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Katie. What do we mention almost every episode? Email templates. You're right, we sure do. <laughs> and after every time we mention an email template, do you know what we get? Emails asking if they can have <laughs> copies of the email template. Can you send me a copy of that template? I sure. have never had one like that. That sounds great. And you know what the good news is? What? 
You can get all of our email templates from our course, Email Templates 101. Tell the people about it. Our course has all of the email templates you would need to send to your buyers and your sellers and your clients that are buying and selling at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> to get through every step of the transaction and giving them information that they need for where they are in the transaction. It's great because you never forget to tell them something. Yes, and we've already done all the work for you. Yeah. We wrote them and yeah. you can personalize them. Yes. And just feel organized knowing that you have all the information where it needs to be. And if you purchase Email Templates 101, you do get lifetime access. So occasionally we like to go in and make updates based on the market or if we find a new best practice. So we put that right into the template and you get that updated straight away. It just goes straight to your course. Yep. Right, it's, it's just there. It's, it's just already there. in there. It's just already there. in there. You don't even have to worry about it. We'll That's send wonderful. you an email and we'll say updated. That's great. Where can they find these email templates? You can find the email templates at email templates with an s 101.com email templates 101.com yes head over for reviews and all of the specifics wonderful okay enjoy so step one i'm a new agent um uh, this is hypothetical thanks <laughs> Alyssa, congratulations on your career change yeah step one a new step agent one. um they should have they should start off before they're incorporated or anything like that with at least a Roth IRA. Yes. So a Roth IRA is always the first step that I recommend. You are going to pay taxes on that money, which means all the growth is tax free. And so when you withdraw it later, you will not pay taxes on that growth. And the Roth max is out at $6,000 a year and there is an income limit. So if you're making more than $140,000 a year, which for a new agent in your first year, if you're making more than that, I mean, congratulations, um, then you can no longer contribute. Um, and that's $215,000 for a couple. And that number kind of changes every year. It's one of those tax laws that is just like always, always waffling back and forth. But um, the $6,000 a year Roth IRA is absolutely where you should start. Like max that baby out. Let that compound interest just grow and grow for you. So it's th 6000 Like I think I have one and Tanner has Absolutely. One. You should each have one if possible. And then we each contribute You can each 6, do 6000 mm -hmm. So 12000 a year. Absolutely. Yes. Unless our in our combined income exceeds two fifteen, correct, and that's net, right? That's not gross. That is net profit for you. You know, as a small business owner, I know like Tanner has a normal job, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. right. a W two job, has, right, right. Mm -hmm. He has retired. What what is normal corporations usually provide? Is that a certain type of IRA? I mean, they're all different. They're all different. There is no normal. I would say that the biggest difference you're going to see in between like independent and corporation is like your 401k match. Because obviously when you're independent, there's no company matching for you. So I always right. say, so like Alyssa, if you were like, Sarah, what should I do? I would be like, absolutely max out that Roth IRA, but then look into Tanner's 401k. And if Tanner has any kind of match, make sure you are contributing, even if it lessens you know, his paycheck a good bit, contributing up to the max, because that's something that we as self-employed people will never get. And it's free money. It's free money because your yeah. employer is matching the money. Um, okay. And so then you start off with your Roth IRA and then you like maybe year two, three, four, you incorporate yourself and start your SEP IRA. And that is when it is, you said, 25% of the profit of your business. Correct. That you can contribute to that SEP. Yes. Okay. 
And I, I think I have both of these. And I really love that's great. And I really love an i401k. If you were going back and forth between a SEP and a 401k, I would do the 401k because you can contribute more since you can contribute both from the personal and the business side. Can you have all three? Uh, yeah. A SEP and a 401k. Yeah, you can. And remind me one more time what you contribute to a 401k. So a 401k, you can contribute up to $18,000 as a person. And then your business can contribute up to 25% of your profit. So a lot of times I will wait to see exactly what my profit's going to be tax-wise. And then I'll throw, you know, a little bit more money in my 401k once I figure out my tax liability is going to be each year. Yeah, because you can still do that in the year that you're – like it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to happen in the the year that you're filing the taxes for. You can do that in the year when you're actually working them up. Yes. Yes. Okay. For example – I just got my, I, that's what I do. We, my CPA looks at my income and expenses for the year. And then she tells me based on your profit, you can contribute this much to your set. Amazing. Yes. And I'm like, okay. And it would count, even though it's 2022, I can contribute now before a certain date and it would count mm-hmm. for 2021. Correct. Um, And it was interesting because if I, I'll just tell you the numbers. Yeah. So she was like, you can contribute 30,000 to your SEP. Okay. If you do that, what you owe in taxes, it was like $12,000 less. Yeah. So really 33 minus 12 is, it's not like I Gave away all thirty three, and you're giving it to yourself. Yeah, I'm giving you're it not to giving myself. Giving it to someone else. I feel like I'm. I'm not. You're just saving it. Yes. Remember, Save you're paying later. future Alyssa. Like that money is just going yeah. to your future. That's right. Okay, I have one irrational fear. Oh God, I love. I love where this conversation really is going. You only have one. Because I'm here all morning. Better about auditing now that I have an official. Yes. Like CPA. Yes. Okay. I feel that fear is pretty much. Right. So what are we on now? What one day. If the government or something, like, will it all just, like, disappear? Will it go mm-hmm. away? Mm-hmm. Like, all this money? Because to me, my fear is that with real estate, even if the market plummeted, I still have a structure. Right. My, I have trouble putting money into these accounts because it's a lot of money that could be buying me real estate. And then... I witnessed like my parents and grandparents like being nervous, watching it fluctuate. And then if something terrible happens, like by the time I'm 60, is this going to even be a thing? Right. That is a very understandable fear. A lot of people have it. And I have so much to say about it. So the first thing is that when you are investing money in the stock market, it's obviously very different. Like you said, it's not tangible like real estate. But I just want to reiterate that diversification is super important. I mean, we've learned that in New Orleans, right? We've had floods. I mean, we had Hurricane Ida. I mean, oh, I, my my house was very damaged from that. You know, it's very important to diversify. Another thing I'll say about this is that this may not this may not comfort you. But during well during the Great Depression, you know, when we had a 1929 when we had a big stock market crash, the stock market didn't go down to zero, right? Like people talk about it like it did, but it actually didn't. And now that we've had some time moving past that, almost 100 years, you can see that if you if you put money in the stock market before that crash, you were still better off 50 years later than if you didn't have any money in it because the market comes back. It grows, right? And then my third point I'll make is that 
if we had some kind of stock market collapse, it probably means we've had a societal collapse and currency probably won't even be a thing. We're in big trouble. Currency okay. won't mean anything. Right. You're going to start growing your trouble. own food if this happens. Well, I have bigger problems. And, and I don't mean that to say that I think it's going to happen. I absolutely don't think that it will. But if it did, who would – I mean, we would not care about retirement anymore. We would be like, do you have any seeds in the garage? Right. Yeah. Like we need to It'd like start that. planting potatoes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Good. This, good this to makes know. me feel better. Okay. okay. Good. All right. Thank we're we're going gonna to move away yeah, now from you. retirement. We this is this is pretty in depth, and people are going to start to be like, "Whoa, I'm scared." People are skipping. But let's yeah. Let's back it up to the simpler part of of budgeting when you don't know what your income is going to be. Like, how would you even budget for taxes or or paying a CPA or paying your freaking bills? Like, how do you budget when you don't know what your income is going to be? Absolutely. And do you have an app that you like? And, and, and is there an app for this? <laughs> You're right. Okay. So I love an annual budget. Like when you have fluctuating income, budgeting monthly does not make any sense to me, right? Especially when so many of our expenses as self-employed people are annual. It doesn't make any sense to think about your money in an every 30-day cycle. So I'll say that, number one. Number two, you always need to know, like, I love to reverse engineer a budget. Instead of saying, I made $5,000 this month, how am I going to spend it? Look at your needs, look at your expenses, and see how much money you need to make first. And say, like, I need to make $4,000, or I need to make $8,000, or I make $2,000. You know, everyone's going to differ, which is why it's really important to know. I like to call this your enough number. And basically, your enough number is how much do I need, how much do I want, and how much do I want to save. And those three things together make up your enough number and can give you an idea of your annual budget. And then also, you know, in entrepreneurship, sometimes businesses fail. And one of the biggest problems in business failure is that people wait too long to call it. And if you know exactly how much money you need to make and you're not making it, you know that you either need to change something up in your business or you need to call it. And you're going to know that a lot faster and therefore get into a lot less debt if you can figure that out sooner. I like that because I do think we see a lot of people hold on mm -hmm. to real estate each year thinking next year will be better, next year will be better. Well, and I think it's tough too, though, because I don't know if this is the same like in photography, but in real estate, you have to build some momentum. So oh, you yeah. couldn't just give it a year. Like you would no. have to give it two or three years. Yeah. But after you've passed the three-year threshold and you've really been working at it the whole time, then I think you need to probably call it. But you can't call it at year one or year two because it, it does take some runway to really get it moving. Absolutely. And I also think like there is nothing more motivating financially than knowing you're not making enough money. Like you will hit the ground running, you will yeah. build that momentum, you will do that networking if you're not making enough. And if you don't know that you're not making enough, you're not going to be as motivated. Yeah, for sure. Okay. How do you make financial plans when you're working in a field that doesn't have consistent income? Like I, I understand the yearly budget, that makes total sense. But like as far as retirement or other like bigger money plans, like how do you make a financial plan when you don't know what's coming? Every year when you look at your annual budget, I love to make annual goals, but the most important thing is to prioritize those things. Like for instance, it's much more important to have an emergency fund than a fully funded IRA, right? So like to be able to see like, okay, you know, I know that I need to have this much in savings before I start investing. 
is really important. And I'll also say that like done is better than perfect. It's much better to throw $50 a month in a Roth IRA than wait until you have an extra six grand a year to max it out. I, you know, if I could change one thing about how I handled my early 20s, I was such such a perfectionist that I was like, I'm not going to open this up until I can put $20,000 in it a year or, you know, whatever. All of that compound interest I lost out on, it just, it kills me to this day. So I would always say like, it's so much better to start small than not start at all. Oh, I like that. Start really small like instead of not. I didn't even, I didn't even mean to rhyme, but that's that's quippy. Let's Start tweet that small. one. Yeah, I love it. <clears throat> okay, so do you have an app or method to track finances and budgeting? What do you like to do? Yes, so I am currently testing out a lot of apps before giving one like my full recommendation. I am currently testing the Copilot app, which I really like. Uh, my friend Katie Gaddy, who runs a personal finance a blog called Money with Katie, recommended it to me, and I am really liking it. I am very much a nerd. Like I use an Excel sheet. That's not practical for most people. So I- But that's what we use. We, that's what we use. Even in the real estate world, we tried all the fancy things because yeah. there's so many fancy things. And at the end of the day, the good old spreadsheet is the most reliable. And I saw on your Instagram, like how you use it to make the circle chart yes. breaking down everything. I mean, it, it really, it does, does everything. I Well, and I, so I'm glad we asked the question because I think people, I've tried to use Mint before yes. other like yeah. financial. I know YNAB is also a really popular one. I've tried to use um, even like Mile IQ to record my mileage yes. for work. I apps don't work for me. I don't like the functionality. I have a little tiny notebook in my car. When I get in to go to work, I like write down the number. And then at the beginning of the year, I write down my mileage and the end of the year, I write down my mileage. And it takes me 10 minutes to add all that up at the end of the year. And it just works better for my brain. The, when the app kept alerting me, I was getting in and out of my car <laughs> and asking me if it was for work. I was so annoyed. I was like, I cannot do this. You were like, this I'm just trying to go to Canes to get but my sweet tea, okay? Leave me alone. <laughs> just leave me alone, app. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not at work right now, okay? I'm not. Um, but the, the spreadsheet thing, I think that that's all I do for my budget. I have a business page. I have a personal page. I open it up every, like towards the end of every month. I make sure if my bills have changed in any way, I put the little new number in the cell and then I freaking print it up and I cross it off as I pay it. Like y'all, people make this stuff way too complicated. If that mm -hmm. app doesn't work for you, don't use an app. Use a piece of paper. Just you have to, but you have to track it. And I think everyone just like dumps it and is like, I'm not going to do it at all. I don't know what's in my bank account. I have no clue what's happening. Like, I just don't think that's a method either. Right. Absolutely. And like, I always tell people, like, the best system is a system that works for you. Like, there is something that serotonin hit of that pen and paper is so real. And I have been building a, an Excel sheet right now for small business owners. And I'm actually working on one that's just for real estate agents that will like calculate your commission. It'll calculate your taxes. It'll calculate what I think you should be saving. So I'm working on that. I hope to have that done pretty soon. And then I will definitely send that over to you guys so you can test it out for me and tell me what you think. Oh, yeah, for sure. Perfect. I love it. Okay. Here's a good separate random question. How can you avoid making purchases? Because you're great at budgeting. It's like super, super great. How can you avoid making purchases just because everyone else is doing it? You know, business owners like, oh, you need that app or oh, yes. you need that um, software. Or, oh, you need that 
device or whatever it is, how can you avoid buying all the things that everyone else is buying? Okay. So the biggest thing I'll say is that it's really important to have your own goals. Like getting clear on your own goals will help you fall prey to someone else's, right? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is I love to think about what's my return on investment going to be in this? So if people, I mean, my mind is currently flooded with things that I know that people in our industry are purchasing that are useless. Um, and I really don't want to call like any specific thing out, but I will say that every every time you see someone buy, you know what? This I'll I'll use this as an example. I see so many real estate agents buy super fancy cars and say they need the fancy car because they want to impress their clients because they're driving their clients around. You don't need a fancy car. You need a clean car. You need a reliable car. You don't need a junker. Like you need a nicer car, but you don't need an Audi. You know how many real estate agents I know that own Audis? So many. Why? Yeah. We've talked about this on the show before because neither of us drive a flashy car and actually are uncomfortable with the idea of driving a flashy car. Yeah. And it's it's so ridiculous because new agents do or like when they feel um like imposter syndrome, like, well, I need a nicer car yes. because that will make people think I know what I'm doing. And that's just not true at all. So that's a great, great point. And I'll, I'll also say on the car thing, because I am passionate about this, um, when I see a real estate agent get an Audi, I think why, like they're spending their money unwisely. So why would I want them to spend my money? Oh, that's a great point. That is really good. That is a great point. Something to think mm-hmm. about as a layman, okay. as a non-agent. That is my opinion. <laughs> and I also think- I will tell a quick story. Oh, yeah. No, go on. I was just going to say. Okay, well, I have to show up. Oh, you go. There you go. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. So I also want to say that, again, like you said, I think it's a confidence issue. Like the more confident you can be in how you're running your business, the less you're going to want to keep up with other people because you're confident in your own space. So again, that's all. Please tell me your car story. Okay. I pulled up to a showing in my Honda Pilot. Young couple, but they were first-time buyers, and they had a really high, at the time, budget for first-time buyers. They were spending $300,000. I was like, wow. I mean, they both had great jobs. They were obviously savers. They were really prepared to put 20% down on this house. And I roll up in my, you know, old Honda Pilot, and he actually made a comment after the showing. He was like, you're not the first agent we met with, but we really like your car, and you seem like you're more our speed. Because the other agent rolled up in, like, a Mercedes and made them feel like, Maybe like you feel like they weren't spending their money wisely. How are they going to handle my money? Yeah, a hundred percent. I do want to do my little disclaimer that if you make a lot of money and you're wise with money and you just like luxury cars, you get that luxury. I mean, car. right? If that's what you want, if that's yes. what you want, and you can afford it, and you have it in your budget to have that, go for it. Absolutely. And you have fully funded your IRA and you already. Have fully funded your IRA, and you have made wise decisions. Go for it. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Funny hurts. I heard um, Dave Ramsey one time tell a story oh, about makes me so mad. this. I'm sorry. I, I'm not a big fan either, but Alyssa is. Okay, well, tell me. I, I like the, the principles. I like the principles. But yeah. the whole story was about like this guy who was a philanthropist and he did have a really nice car. It was like $100,000. And everybody in the media just started like shredding him because he had this nice car. And they actually did the math on his business income versus his car. And they said, him buying this car is like you and me buying a sausage biscuit from McDonald's. (laughs) If he wants to buy this car, 
he can buy this car. Yes. And he can still do good things for the world. Abs- and he so Absolutely. And to be it, I just like that analogy because people, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. get in their head. But when I won the Baton Rouge 40 under 40, Mercedes gave each of us a Mercedes to drive for 30 days. And all we had to do was post about it on our social media. How was it? It was fun, but I pulled up to a showing and it was these young, this young family with a baby, like budgeting for diapers. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I get out of this Mercedes and like, I just saw them. And the first thing I said was, this is not my car. (laughs) I just, (laughs) I won this car for a month. Um, but, but this is not, I drive a Toyota. I just felt like, and they, they kind of laughed over They were like, that's awesome. How cool is that? You know, but I could just feel like the, I don't know if it made them feel inadequate or them feel like we're not on the same level. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not relatable all of a sudden. So I think you just have to like know your audience, know your clients, like, you know, rent the fun car when you go on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And to be, but anyway. Yeah. And to be clear, like, I love the sausage biscuit story because, you know, I think my biggest issue with any kind of spending like this is can you afford it? Like, I always say, like, girl boss or girl broke. Like, the amount of credit card debt I see in our industry is insane. And so, again, if you are making a million dollars a year and you want that Mercedes, I want you to go for it. But if you're making $100,000 a year, you do not belong in a Mercedes. I like it. I, I do, too. It's very helpful. I caught all of my questions, except for how much should I pay myself? So is there... A rule? Is this something you need to really have your CPA tell you? Like, what are your thoughts? Right. I hate answering a question with a question. But when people ask me, how much money should I pay myself? I love to say, how much money do you need? Like, do you know what how you know what your bills are and what you know your maybe your fun expenditures should be that kind of thing? And then I will also say it's definitely a great question for your CPA because there's different tax strategy involved with different personal finance goals. So if you're trying to save a ton of money for retirement right now, you're going to want to pay yourself a little less. But as you know, if you're trying to buy a house, you need to show that you're making more income. So maybe you'd be saving a little less for retirement for a couple of years and you know show that proof of income. So it is so personal to each person. I really wish you could say like, oh, like pay yourself a third. But like, what if you're only, what if you, 100% of what you make that month you need to spend? Sometimes that's going to happen. So again, it is really personal. Wish there was a formula. Ask your CPA, DM me, give me your numbers and I'll tell you. <laughs> I also, I know this is also personal and you would have to answer it with a question likely, (laughs) but I have trouble figuring out like if I wanted to retire at 40 Mm -hmm. how or 50, how do you know what number to pick that, that you would be able to survive on? Okay. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So yes, absolutely. Like having enough number in mind, like I need this much every month, every year. But then also think about bigger things. Like think about your kids going to college. Think about like paying for a kid's wedding. Like what do you want to take family vacations? What do you want that to look like? Like I would always say like think big because I want you to be able to save conservatively. And then like, you know, Alyssa, Mm -hmm. for you, I know your retirement plan includes a lot of real estate investments. So think about like what's the cash flow going to be now, but also what do you think the cash flow is going to be like in 10 years? Like once you pay that mortgage off, right, you're going to get more money, but then property taxes are going to go up. So again, 
got to have an Excel sheet for this. And then, you know, for the stock market, again, to kind of throw it back to the fire movement, a very conservative rate of return is 4%. So a lot of people try to save a million dollars in the stock market, and then they can conservatively take out $40,000 a year without hitting the principal. Mm, that's interesting. So that four, yeah. So that four percent rule is something that's talked about a lot in the fire movement. Um, and if you compare that with real estate investments, and let's say you make you know forty thousand dollars a year off your real estate investments, you know you got eighty k a year. And you know I think for most, again, it's also a great amount to live on. Yeah, and I mean real estate typically appreciates at about a four <laughs> percent, depending well, same year with the to the stock year. market. So, yes, exactly. I mean, not over the last time. few years, it's way higher, but over time. So it, I mean, really you could get, and that's why I like when you say to diversify, if you're a realtor and you feel comfortable with real estate, then invest in oh, real absolutely. estate, put, but put some in the stock, like, like do both things or do one and then try to do that. Like yes, you don't have exactly. to do it all, but I think over time you want to do a little bit of everything. So remind me what your title is. So I am not technically like, a financial advisor a because financial I am not a certified, advisor? I'm not a CFA, you- a certified financial advisor. So I like to call myself a financial educator because I think financial coach can feel a little skeezy. Okay. You know, I have nothing against coaches, but I think sometimes like, you know, I'm not a life coach because I'm literally going to take all of your yeah. money numbers and f- get something really tangible for you. So I like the term financial educator. I like the term financial advocate. I would probably need to go back, Alyssa, and get my MBA like you to become a certified financial advisor. Maybe one day I'll do that. But I will say that a lot of times financial advisors um, are connected to a certain bank or a certain fund. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who have said like, you've been so much more helpful than my financial advisor because my financial advisor is only really certified to talk about certain things and they're going to get a kickback depending on what I choose. Right. And you're looking at the whole picture. So where you might say, go buy a rental on property, they're never going to tell you that. They will never tell you that. They're always going to tell you what's going to make them money. I'm not going to make any money off of what you decide to do. I'm going to try to give you the best options that I think work for your situation. So there is a pretty big difference. Like I don't work for Edward Jones. So you evaluate (laughs) people's income Mm -hmm. and money and give advice on what they should do with it. Yes. And you know, a lot of people that come to me are coming to me. They've just started out freelancing, real estate agenting, businessing, and they need to figure out like, how much money do I need to make? How much money does my business need to make? And also they need to figure out things like, okay, I'd like to buy a house in three years. How how do I do that? And I will help you figure out like a plan to make that happen. So I've been feeling the need to have some sort of like financial advisor that manage like right now I do like you just said I have a guy at my bank that I've been at forever Mm -hmm. that has handled my parents accounts and he just tells me what to do and I do it and he's you know nice enough I still don't always understand what we're doing but Mm -hmm. it seems to be working out just fine on paper you know like my money is still there and it's growing but I don't really know you know is there a person that does those things and then also manages your rental property income? Like what, who would that be? Like what is a CPA of financial, like I don't, I don't know what 
what is needed. Right. Um, my perspective is that, like, unfortunately, the only person who can manage all of your investments is yourself. And so being able to educate yeah. yourself and figure out exactly what needs to happen is important. And I'll also say that, you know, uh, something that concerns me about a lot of financial advisors is not just the connection they have to the accounts and the funds that they're going to shill you, to be honest, but it's also the, the fee that they take every year. So I am very anti-fee. I'm <laughs> very like, um, and and it's something that when people work with me, yeah, of course, like they pay me, you know, a certain fee for like a deep dive or, you know, a personal finance plan or whatever, but you pay me one time. I'm not going to come back next year and be like, oh, did you make 30 grand on what I told you to do? Well, I get 3% of that now. So that's also something I think I would be aware of. I know so many people who have really been taken advantage of by financial advisors um, because they're salesmen, right? At the end of the day, it's like a car salesman, but for finance accounts. So my last question. If you analyze someone's finances and said, okay, you need to put 30000 in the stock market, mm -hmm. how would I know what to do if I didn't have my guy at the bank? I would tell you exactly. So I, I would be like, you know, we're going to put this in this kind of money market fund. These are the things that I think you should be investing in. You know, here's like an ETF index fund option, a high risk option, a low risk option. We would talk through all of that. And I'll say like, I also manage all of my own stuff. Um, and yeah, it can be scary sometimes, but I have learned so much that I'm now trying to educate other people on. Um, because to be honest, like you don't need an old white man at a bank to manage your money for you for a fee. Do you have, as we conclude, do we have, any, do you have any like resources, podcasts, books, anything that you would recommend for like intro to starting to educate well, yourself? Right. And tell us what you're doing because you're yeah. going to be able to do this for us. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So you can find me at beckertalksmoney.com. I am currently blogging every week on different things that I think real estate agents and freelancers need to know. Um, I'm on Instagram at beckertalksmoney. You can DM me anytime. I offer deep dives that kind of go through your whole financial plan. And I also offer like an hourly consulting, which is just literally an ask me anything. I'll send you a questionnaire before to make sure that like I'm very like well-researched on what you want to chat about. But if you feel like you're kind of set up financially, but you still have a few questions, that's a great option for you. Um, as far as further resources go, I mean, you know that I'm a nerd. You know I'm a big reader. My biggest recommendation for financial reading is called Your Money or Your Life. It's an amazing book by Vicki Robin, and it's pretty short. It's very approachable. Um, and I'm actually going to do a podcast kind of like, not really a Nose version, but kind of like going through like my favorite points from the book. Um, and that'll be coming out when my podcast launches pretty soon. Um, so yeah, that's where I would start. And then again, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm there talking about money almost every day because it's my favorite thing to talk about. Thank you. You're obviously very passionate about it and we really need your help. So um, <laughs> good, good for you for like taking on these sweet female dominated fields that need that information. They really, really do. So this yeah. is really huge. Okay. If you're good, I'm going to do a toast. Are you ready for a toast? I'm ready. I can't wait to hear it. Okay. I can't wait to hear it either because I'm just going to read it off my email. Okay. This toast is from Rachel McBain. Um, okay. Let's see. She wants to give a shout out to her division president mentor, Jennifer. Oh, gosh. Wadawa. Wadawa. Jennifer Wadawa. They're agents in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, we used Wait, Sarah, did you live in Chicago? No, I have not. Okay. Right. Unfortunately, it's never, an amazing city. It's a it's a lovely city. I love okay, carry on. Right. 
We used, they used to work on the team together, but she had the courage to leave sooner than I did. When I realized it was time for me to go, she invited me out to lunch and introduced me to the most amazing brokerage anybody could honestly ever dream of. I was basically starting completely over once I went on my own. So Jen was always there to give me some tough love and encourage me to do what she clearly knew I was capable of. I always had a hard time speaking up and asking for help, but this past year I have tripled my income and it's because she taught me to speak my mind and fight for what I deserve. She even turned me on to this podcast. Yay. Oh my gosh. So I am forever grateful for all for her and for you guys always making me feel like I don't go through the ups and downs of real estate alone. Oh, that's really sweet. Oh my God, Rachel, that was great. So cheers. Rachel toasted Jennifer. Yep. Cheers to Jennifer. Cheers, that cheers. is amazing. That is um, thank you to Sarah, everybody co go and follow Sarah on Instagram. And then we can't wait for your podcast to come out. So that's going to be so much fun. We'll, we'll get to hear all of the really nitty gritty. Like when you drill down deep onto this stuff on, mm -hmm. on every episode of Becker talk, is it going to be Becker talks money? Oh, absolutely. I'm keeping that brand consistent. I yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. We appreciate thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Alyssa. I love you guys. I appreciate y'all. Love you too. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Hustle Humbly podcast. Let us know who we should toast to for the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hustle Humbly Podcast. If you have an episode, topic, or question, please email us at hustlehumblypodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. See you next week. Bye. This is the good life.